Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? I hope you are doing great. We're thankful to God for this opportunity we have today to join together and worship His name. And as Pastor Ryan announced on last week, we are doing a pause in the Mark's Gospel of Mark series today or these days during summer. And we are going to talk about the Psalms. And that's the title, Summer Psalms, Songs for Life. And I'm privileged to, to start this Summer Psalm, Songs for Life talk. And today I'm going to discuss or preach on the Psalm 8 that we entitled, How Majestic is the Lord's Name in All the World. In all the world. But before reading Psalm 8, I'd like to tell you an experience I, I had. When I started meditating on the psalm, it just transported me back some 20 years ago when I was in, in Brazil, in Sao Paulo. Like that distance you see in the map. And I was there studying English and finishing a three-and-a-half-year course there. Sao Paulo is a big city. If you move back just one slide there, uh, it's a great metropole. We, s we say that normally it's the biggest city in the Latin America. We have just the city of Sao Paulo itself has 14 million inhabitants. It's really big. I work with transportation, subway, trains, etc. And just the subway lines there, every business day, it takes three, almost four million users in a business day. You see, it's a really big city. And also, I put some pictures there. For example, the, in the middle, the cathedral called the Se. Se Cathedral, and the Mark Zero, the ground zero of the city of Sao Paulo. And Janet, my wife, she worked closely, like some meters from that Mark Ground Zero there. And there are other pictures. It's a big city. I was living there almost my whole life, and I was born there. I was just studying English, and we were told to choose a topic to discuss or to to give in the last in the end of this the discourse and i chose a thought provoking theme that is is it possible to be a scientist and believe in god is it possible to be a scientist and believe in god because people normally they think that there is an incoherence between the two but to give this talk, I was inspired by an article that was the result of an interview of a big scientist. He already passed away, Dr. Henry Schaeffer, but he was a believer. And he provided us some ideas of this apparently conflict 
between science and Christianity. And he himself was a scientist and a believer. And he, this, he's, uh, without, without trying to be a spoiler here, because we, uh, we sent the link in the newsletter this week. If you want to know more, we can just click on it, and I recommend you to check it out. But without, in attempt of not being a spoiler uh, in this preaching introduction, just to show some interesting quotations here, like, for example, the famous Isaac Newton. Probably you, when you were studying physics or mathematics, you heard about him or studied his laws. He was a great mathematician and physicist and co-discoverer with Leibniz of calculus, the founder of classical physics, and etc., etc. He was a, a great guy in science. But what caught my attention is that he wrote more on theology than on science itself. And in academy, we don't know that. We don't know. He stated, this most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets, comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. That's amazing. Also, Michael Faraday, who discovered benzene and electromagnetic radiation, invented the generator, and was the main architect of classical field theory. He reasoned, I quote, speculations, man, I have none. I have certainties. I thank God that I don't rest my dying head upon speculations, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He was a believer. And there are lots of others, and as I told you, check it out, that were scientists and believed in God. And even in our days, Okay, somebody may say, oh, but it was in the past. But no, even today. The conclusion is that true science does not disprove God. And being a scientist and a believer is totally possible and achievable. And it, this, I didn't read uh, this, this week. This week was really busy for me. But the fact of transporting me and after choosing this Psalm 8, it transported me also to the creation of God, how mag magnificent it is. And then let's, let us read Psalm 8, please. I'm going to read from the ESV. And just one thing here in our English Bibles. The psalm starts by verse 1, and the French Bible starts in verse 2. Okay, there is this mixed connection. Ça va, Jeanette? Psalm en français, ça démarre en verset 2. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. 
out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your fools, to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Wow, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The origin of this psalm, probably, or perhaps, is David is in his young life as a shepherd, tending his family's sheep when lying in the fields one night, probably gazing into the wondrous night sky, filled with awe and wonder concerning God's marvelous, marvelous creation. What an amazing view. I don't know if he, when he was penned that psalm, he was looking at a sky, at a sky or gazing at a, into a sky or at a sky like this. So amazing. And he was inspired to write this psalm. In fact, we don't know the exact moment. However, independent on the, the answer to that question, what we know is that Psalm 8 is divinely inspired and brilliantly penned. And that it contains lots of revelations that for sure superseded David's understanding and it still supersedes ours. Wow. It's a... Uh, it's amazing how profound is this psalm. And before diving in in the Psalm 8, let me provide a quick overview of, on the book of Psalms as a whole by summarizing it in at least six points here. First, it is a collection of lyrical poems. And it includes praises of joy, laments, blessings, and thanksgiving. The book of Psalms is amazing. Some Psalms name their authors in the first line or title. However, the remainder of the Psalms do not contain information about their authors. It's a none, some of them. The book of, was originally titled Tehillim, which means praise songs in Hebrew. Our Named Psalm, it came from the Septuagint, which was a translation of the Old Testament before Jesus' times by 72 translator, translators into Greek. And Psalmoi, it, our English Bible takes the name Psalm from it. And the book of Psalms was, was originally divided into five books. Okay? 
Now coming back to Psalm 8, we reckon that Psalm 8 is a hymn of praise and a praise to God for his creation. This God and only true God is to be worshipped, adored, and he is the good and great creator, ruler, and sustainer of the whole universe. And that reminds us of Jesus himself. Because, in fact, this psalm, he, it transports us to Genesis in the beginning. In the beginning, God. And also transports us to the God of John. When he says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Everything that was created, was created by him. Without him, nothing that we see or that was created, would be created. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. That's so amazing. This psalm transports us back and forth to the old and to the new, to the past, to the present and to the future. So, Jesus is reported in the new as the new, the new testament as the new Adam. And in the old, we have the first Adam. And because of disobedience, many things gone wrong and sin entered the world. But Jesus, as being the Messiah, the Lord, he regenerates our fellowship to God. And he restores the whole universe. The whole universe. A God who accomplishes all this truly has a majestic name. That's the conclusion of the psalmist, David. Let's go to the first topic here. The psalmist starts with the Lord. And in our Bible, we have, O Lord, our Lord. That is a repetition of the word Lord. However, in Hebrew, we have the first Lord is Yahweh or Jehovah, is the covenantal name of God with his people Israel. And another translation would be, O Yahweh, our Adonai. O Yahweh, our Adonai. As the people of Israel contemplate who their God is and what their God has done, they break out in personal praise. O Yahweh. Lord, Jehovah, our Adonai, our Lord. Yahweh is his personal covenant name revealed to the Hebrews. He, it occurs, this name occurs more than, more than 5,000 times in the Old Testament. And now English Bibles is translated Lord, sometimes all capital letters. David begins with two great names of God and wonderfully Notes that Jehovah is our Lord, our governor, our ruler, our master. This great God is our God. How privileged we are. Indeed, we know that we don't deserve it. It's by God's grace alone. It's by his amazing grace. The second point here, the psalmist acknowledged being part of a corporate group. He says, our Adonai, our Lord. 
Notice the pronouns he uses, our. The corporate community of believers has gathered for worship, as we are doing today here. The psalmist begins in worship as we should begin. He begins his theology as we should begin. With God, the starting point is really crucial for us. We know the importance of joining together to worship the Lord together. It's really important, it's vital, I would say, for us. God chose to be this way. It is pleasing to God that you join to worship Him together. In a place like ours here today, or in a home, or underground, fleeing from persecution like many brothers and sisters of us in some place in the world in this very day. Yeah, we are commanded to grow our lives in the fellowship of believers. God decided this way. Third point, a declaration of Yahweh's name, excellency. How majestic is your name in all the earth? His glory set up above the heavens. All of creation cannot contain his greatness, his majesty, and yet his excellency is displayed in little things as well. Yes. David, he didn't have, didn't have the whole knowledge we have today through science. For example, we know about how human body is constituted of cells and an atom, for example. And even the image we have from telescopes, he didn't have all those information. We have more today. Science really multiplied the knowledge as was prophesied by Daniel. That's amazing. However, we see the prophetic element in this psalm. And the prophetic element is when he didn't have the whole vision of what he was saying about, but by the Holy Spirit that was inspiring him, he could write a beautiful psalm like this. And fourth point here, Yahweh is above his, all his creation. You have set your glory above the heavens, the part C of this verse 1. God is revealed through his creation. However, he's above it all. His dwelling is a holy place. Because he's holy, the prophet Isaiah, he had a, a vision of the Almighty God seated on his throne. And the prophet feared for his life because he knew he was a sinner. However, today we have access to God through his throne, on his throne, through Jesus, our mediator, and only through him. It was around 50 years ago, a Russian cosmonaut called Yuri Gagarin, the first human launched into space, he reported 
reportedly re returning to Earth with a simple message, in a Soviet-style message. He said, I looked and looked and looked, but I didn't see God. Gagarin was allegedly a believer, he said. And there's some debate about whether he actually uttered or why he actually uttered those words. But there are some political propagandas mixed with that. And in the end, he put that on the news, Boganiet, which means there is no God. But yeah, the psalmist says God is above all his creation. He was searching for God there. Of course he would not find because God is above all his creation. <laughs> it's not this way we know how to search for God. Thanks God for that. And we are about to announce this to, to the whole world. And I would say to him, hey, no guy, sorry. God is above our creation. Yeah. Let's go to the fifth. Yahweh chose the weakest to reveal his glory. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. And Jesus applied this verse 2 to himself in Matthew 21, verses 15 and 16, as he's made his great entry into Jerusalem, seated, seated on a donkey. And Matthew 21, 16 and 15 and 16 says this way, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never re read? Out of the mouth of babies and nurse, nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Wow. One should not miss what the children were saying. We must not miss the point that in applying Psalm 8, verse 2, to himself, Jesus was claiming to be the majestic God of whom the babies and infants give witness. And that's so amazing how God, he chose the weakest Things of this world to show his glory. Some translations say, even says that the vilest of things of this world to show his glory. That's our God. He's, he's so, so sovereign that not even the free will of man can threaten his sovereignty is so amazing, our God. And he chose the weak people of Israel to be the chosen people from whom 
the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come. And I imagine that moment when Jesus was born in a manger, when those shepherds, like David was a shepherd, were tending their flocks in the middle of the night, and they were visited by an angelical beings on the sky, brilliantly praising the Lord for the Savior that was born on the earth. And that little baby on a manger, the weakest form of a human being was there. God chose that before the foundation of the world, the Bible says, to have His Son, Jesus, to be sent in the, into the world to save humanity and to restore the whole creation. That's so amazing. So amazing, the vision. Yeah. It, it reminds me of the size sometimes of our planet. You see, how, how amazing is our God. If you go now to the sixth point, when the psalmist makes a, a kind of question, what is mankind in the immensity of creation? He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? He's not questioning if God cares or not for man or for humanity. He's not questioning that. He's declaring that. But this fact amazes him a lot because when he saw and he meditates of the, on the creation of God and he sees the greatness of it and how tiny we are. Oh my goodness. David moves once again to consider the heavens. Though he will now again descend to the earthbound realm to our planet, to reflect upon this paradox of mankind's insignificance, but also the lofty status bestowed upon him as an act of pure grace by the great God. That God, in the expense and grandeur of his creation, would pay attention to this speck or to a speck of dust like man in all the more reason to proclaim the excellence and majesty of his name. Wow. It reminds us of the size of our planet Earth in comparison to the universe. Yeah, there in those pictures, we have like the planet Earth in the bottom left picture, the planet Earth in the whole universe is much less than a, a how can I say, a, a grain of sand, much less than that. 
And it just shows us how big and powerful God is. And at the same time, how loving He is. For how great love He shows to His creation. And even more to humanity as the crown of His creation. Yeah, the planet Earth compared to other planets is really tiny. And in the whole vast universe, non-universe, I would say, that has, could, could be taken by a, a picture of NASA or a telescope with the best technology we have today is imperceptible in the whole universe of galaxies and stars and planets, etc., etc., and that makes David th think and makes this question, wow, how, how God loves us so much. What is mankind? That God is mindful of him. Yeah. So it shows how, how loving our God is. Next point, the psalmist acknowledged being part of a corporate... Oh, sorry. Not that part, sorry. Po point seven, God's dominion mandate is only possible to be accomplished in Christ. He says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. After sin entered the world, a kind of cataclysm took, or took place that gener degenerated mankind's ability to manage God's creation as they were supposed to do. And now every man needs a savior to overcome not only personal sin, but also the fallen condition of the creation. There is a big expectation of the whole creation. The apostle Paul in Romans chapter eight, verse 18 to 24, he says that, I'm going to quote here, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And I move to verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been growing together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The whole creation suffers we are suffering, but we have a promise. 
God made us a promise. In the beginning of God, the Gospel of John says that those who accepted him, those were given the right to become sons of God. God made us, Jesus made us a promise in John chapter 14 that he would come back to the Father. Yes, after resurrection. And he would come back to earth to search for us, to take us back to him, to live with him. And that is the what Paul's, Paul means here. That is the redemption of our bodies. God started the process of adoption. He saw us, he loved us, he sent Jesus to die for us. And we received him by faith. We put our trust in him. We were given the right to become a son of God, a son of God, and sons and daughters of God. And we have a promise that he'll come back to finish this process. Imagining a couple, couple of parents who are going to a place and see the child there, and you love the child, and you start the documentations to take him home to you some time later in the process. We are in this process. One day, this adoption process will finish. He'll come back, he'll take us along with him, and you'll be at home with him forever. It's a great hope we have. He promises that. So, why we wait eagerly for that ad adoption, for that redemption of our bodies? We are suffering along with the whole creation. So, the verse 5a of Psalm 8 it's a big prophecy when it declares that the Lord had made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. It accomplished when Jesus came from heaven and took the human nature, becoming a perfect, perfect man. And Jesus is the perfect Israelite. He is the perfect man. He is the perfect high priest. He is the perfect mediator. He's the perfect God, the perfect image of God. Jesus is all of this and much more. And this psalm, it brings us forward to see the accomplishment. What Hebrews chapter 2 is going to say that for a while, Jesus emptied, him, emptied himself from some divine prerogatives, took human nature and was considered lower than the heavenly beings, accomplished this prophecy of Psalm 8. That's so amazing, so amazing. And imagine, that's why I say that David, he didn't saw all those things when he was painting this psalm. But by divine inspiration, he did it. that. Part B of Psalm is another big, big, big prophecy. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. 
This will be perfectly accomplished in Jesus. When everything in heaven and above heaven will be yielded, submitted to him perfectly. When Jesus was among us on this planet, he gave orders to nature. He calmed the sea. He walked on the sea. He made miracles, several fantastic, I would say, quote-unquote, miracles, because he is the perfect accomplishment of this prophecy. And he said, after rising again, I received a name that is above all name. All power is given to me. Wow, that's so amazing. Then let's go to the eighth point. The psalmist concludes by repeating how Yahweh's name is ma majestic. He quotes again the beginning, the first stanza. He repeats in the end, serving like an envelope. The same introductory line he puts to remind us that our God, our Lord, Yahweh, our Adonai, our ruler, our Lord, is majestic. His name is majestic in all the world, in all of creation. It's possible that somebody missed the point when we see the news about terrible things happening. Because if you could see how in this very moment, how many children are being abused, how many people are starting his life in addiction, how people are being trafficked as slaves in every kind of terrible situations in this very moment. And it's easy to, to miss the point how majestic is God in, in all the world, in every tiny spot of his creation, there is a message, God is majestic, God is majestic. In a small cell, as I told you, in a small atom, or in, on this, in the sky, or in the deep sea, 4,000 4, meters under the level of the sea, God is majestic in all of creation. And the psalmist, he knew that, not in too much detail like we are able to, do to, to know today, but he knew and he exalted God. How majestic is your name, O Lord, in all the earth. Just to conclude, I would say that we are invited to put our trust in the one who is above all, above all, above all, whose name is majestic, whose character is trustworthy. God is word of praise for his creation, his choices, his concern for mankind, his plan of salvation. God is word of love, of our love and obedience for taking 
demands nature, willing to die on a cross for opening the way to reconciliation, for arising from the dead to give us hope and a promise that he'll come back to rescue us and to finish this process of adoption that he started because he loved us. So let us, let us pray and thank God for his great love. Oh God, our Lord, O oh Yahweh, our Adonai, O oh Lord, our God, we are thankful, thankful to you, O oh God, that you ha have revealed us all this, those things to your word, to creation. O oh Lord, you are majestic. You are praised, you are worshipped by your creature, by the world you created. We thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.